space. As a science fictioner, I love space. It's the bejeweled black velvet backdrop to my favorite genre of film and television storytelling. It can be the setting for drama, comedy, political intrigue, love and war, and occasionally space itself plays a part in the adventure as an obstacle of vast distance or an asteroid field or as the completely hostile environment that it actually is. This film is all about the latter. While we are so often insulated from the deadly realities of space travel by amazing future or long, long ago technology to the point that the vacuum of space is rarely considered as anything much more than a backdrop. Once in a while, we get a film that is something entirely different, that is precisely the opposite, where space itself is not only the antagonist, but is revealed to be the antithesis to our order of life, and every element, at every moment, is terrifyingly deadly dangerous. I hate space. This week in the Escape Pod, 2013's Alfonso Caron directed Gravity. Welcome back to the Escape Pod. This is Ryan and Nathan. Here we still are, floating along. Beep beep beep. Today we are going to discuss gravity, as promised from our last episode, since that was uh, 1969's Marooned. And Nathan, you you got whiff that gravity was was uh, inspired by that. Supposedly, that's right. I don't have any verification, but there were several reviews that said that it inspired gravity. I'd buy that. Yeah. I felt like there was a lot of direct lines there besides just the general premise. People lost in space trying to get back. Except uh, the difference here is that I was riveted the entire time. Yes. That's review portion, but yeah. Yeah. There's stark contrast in the action in these two movies. Yeah. They say their budget was 100 to 130 million. They should know one or the other. Yeah, you'd think. I guess you can. I guess in that business, you can drop thirty million dollars and be like, "Well, went up George Clooney's nose." I think he just drinks. Don't you think he just drinks? You think he does coke? Nowadays, now nah, he seems way a way too chill together, dude. For that, he just eats like the pineal glands of twelve-year-old <laughs> girls or something. I don't, know what, I don't know what that means. That's <laughs> like reptilian conspiracy bullshit, oh, right? Well, he is very liberal. Is there a secret race of reptile people controlling our government and enslaving humanity? Houston, I have a bad feeling about this mission. Please expand. We open this movie, a shot of the of the Earth from space, and we get radio chatter and Clooney. He's he's a very confident and jovial fella. We know that he likes country music because he's playing it over the intercom for everybody who's out there in space doing their doing their work but he's got the jetpack and he's like looping around the space shuttle he looks like he's having a very good time yeah like he's just cruising around having fun and meanwhile sandra bullock's character she plays ryan stone she's working on the hubble mm-hmm. cool shot you've got the space shuttle and the hubble who doesn't love those two things in 2013 was the space shuttle already retired yeah yeah right so we're like we're retconning this yeah but it's, it's sad it's sad that we don't have the space shuttle anymore. I, I get that it was a huge boondoggle, but still. I mean, but they use they use those for many many years. They got a lot of miles on those space shuttles. I, I do miss them. I thought I think they were cool and in some ways beautiful craft. We can't get back up to service the Hubble now. That's the downside of not having the space shuttle. So yeah, I agree. It's just it's great to see uh, a space shuttle from our orientation. You know, it's it's kind of hanging in space upside down with the, the big bay doors are open, the arm is out, and it's, yeah, it's connected to the Hubble, and she's doing some, some jimmy jams on there. And you know what's greater than seeing the space shuttle floating around? Tell me. Seeing the space shuttle shot to pieces. Right, Sandra Bullock is working on the Hubble, and she doesn't seem like she's feeling that great. Medical now have you with a temperature drop to 35.9 and a heart rate rise to 70. 
How are you feeling? Houston, I'm fine. Just keeping your lunch down in zero G is harder than it looks. Yeah, she needs her no-dos. And always keep no-dos handy. Or no, wait, what's it? What's the... Not no-dos. What's the seasick thing? Dramamine? Yeah, she needs the Dramamine. So we get the sense that maybe she's not a not a space veteran like Clooney yeah. is. I actually thought she was sick. Like, <laughs> that's just how my brain, my brain is sick. She's like, oh no, she's got a cold. Yeah, it's not super sharp. I was like, why, why would they let her up? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> she's got a cold? And how does she get into space with a cold? Then later on, they're more explicit for the dummies like me out there. Houston, can you please turn that music off? Kowalski, have a problem. Thank you, Kowalski. So they're kind of having jovial times back and forth with uh, Houston. And then suddenly Houston's like, all right, shut it down, abort, get back in the shuttle, get out of there. And Clooney, you know, he snaps to it. He's like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. They don't even know what's wrong yet. They're just like right. following orders. Batten the hatches. Yeah, batten them hatches. And so the next message from Control is that uh, Russians shot down or out one of their satellites. Yeah. They send a missile up to destroy one of their satellites. And the wreckage from this cascaded and started just a snowball avalanche effect of satellites careening into each other and flying to pieces. This is based on a real theory or mo- modeled science that this can happen. Wow. I don't know how realistic it is with the sort of the density of satellites that we have up in space right now, but it's something that people are worried about for sure. Fucking believe it, man. I'm just, it's so terrifying. <laughs> uh, watching this movie, I'm already nervous. Yeah, it's a shit show, isn't it? <laughs> I, well, I was watching this with my family around and my my daughter kept coming in and out and I was nervous about having her watch it because it's visually pretty intense, but she just kept, she kept like sort of self, she's doing like self-preservation where she would like leave. It was getting really intense and it was actually making it harder for me to watch because I didn't want to be distracted. But yeah, these ballistic objects, basically, these, this debris is just- Huge coming. debris field. Yeah. It's intense. I, like, I really, really like the way this starts. But can I go back for a second before we get into this? Absolutely. So Kowalski- with his tooling around, with he's got the jetpack on, and he's just sort of like lazily going around the space shuttle. And they bring up the fact that he's sort of trying to break a, a Russian cosmonaut's spacewalking res- uh, record. Kowalski, we, we know you don't care about things like this, but uh, for your information, this delay is not going to be long enough for you to break Anatoly Solovyev's spacewalking record. It seems like you're going to be left... Uh, 75 minutes shy? Never crossed my mind. So Kowalski's just going around and around in these circles, but it's it's very wasteful. Like NASA would never do that. You would never have. Well, he's kind of a space cowboy, right? Right. He's but, just like ripping it up. But like, do you think that they? Do you think that this director or the writer started off with this sort of a slight absurdity? Because like like visually, things are hyper realistic. The space shuttle is reproduced really well, and then later on, everything we see is reproduced really well. And and the gravity environment is really realistic. And and the the when we have sound and when we don't have sound is really important and realistic. Is it like? I'm going to give you this clue right away that like you're going to have to suspend some disbelief for the story. In what way? Because you think he... Well, just because he, he wasn't like being hyper-realistic to what NASA is. I mean, that guy never would exist. That guy's never going to exist mm-hmm. in space with NASA. <laughs> they would know he's a space cowboy and not let him do it. But the director's like, come along. This is a, this is a farce, a playful farce. I think it's to put you at ease and and I think it's to... To help establish Clooney's character, you know, that he's, he seems flippant and uh, like a space cowboy. Yeah. You know, we only have the two characters really. And so maybe seeing that, you know, you're seeing him do these acrobatics and yeah, wasting all this fuel, which that could matter or couldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't change the story. Um, he could run out of fuel anyway, if we weren't like maybe thinking, oh, maybe if, if he just hadn't been yeah, I don't think that I don't think that's around, but that doesn't really come up, you know. But I think, yeah, I think it's just to establish that he's in control, like because he's calm and having a good time. I think it really is to to put the viewer in a certain place where sure. where like, he, everything's silly and there's yeah, like you say, a farce. 
They're having a good time in space. While a lot of this is realistic, there is sort of you do have to like go out on a limb that this could have ever happened. So sure, and, well that anyone would have survived it. Right. ISS, this is Houston. Explorer, this is Houston. Go ahead, Houston. Mission abort. Repeat. Mission abort. Initiate emergency disconnect from Hubble. Begin reentry procedure. ISS, initiate emergency evacuation. So right, they get word this debris field is coming right at them now, and it's what do they say? How? 17,000 miles an hour it's going or 55,000 miles an hour 50,000 miles an hour right away you see the guy whose face we never see gets run through with something in the in the distance and then they're trying to make it back into the shuttle and a bunch of debris hits the arm and Sandra Bullock gets cut loose right she's on the arm still she's like detached she's the the arm is cut loose and it's like flailing around yeah yeah this is I love the way and it's so hard for my brain, but throughout this movie, there is this intense juxtaposition between the seemingly stillness of space, of floating in space, and then suddenly you realize how fast everything is moving. Yeah, right. And it's it's like night and day, because when there's nothing per, for perspective, for context, you can't tell how fast you're moving. And that fucks with my brain yeah. a lot. We have to go, we have to go, go, go. So Clooney's like the cool, like she's a scientist and she's not a pro astronaut, like you said already. And and Clooney's trying to keep keep everything cool. He doesn't even know if the people on the space shuttle are alive, but he sees her and he's talking to to Sandra Bullock's character, saying, "You know, stay with me. You have to disconnect from the arm. the The momentum's going to carry you too far away. So if you want if you want to get rescued, you have to disconnect." And she's panicking, and her panicking is great. <laughs> Yes, 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 I copy, I'm detached. I don't know, I don't know, I'm spinning, I can't, I can't. Yeah. She does disconnect, the arm flings away, and she's floating in space. And, and she's spinning She's out of spinning, but not nearly as violently as she was before, but she's still spinning, yeah. And so then there's this great effect where, yeah, the camera is outside of her, you know, outside of her helmet looking at her and then goes, like, sort of through the helmet and is now inside the helmet and you see all like the light and the dirt and like the condensation and the grime on the helmets it's great just visually this movie is so much fun to watch there's never there's never a scene where there there isn't something cool to look at and right that camera angle from inside the helmet you see earth space earth space earth space it's so dizzying how does her helmet get so dirty to begin with she's got gloves on her hands i thought maybe it was like scratches and stuff too from what maybe she doesn't have good helmet protocol she just gets home from the office and throws that fucking thing anywhere yeah she's kind of going into shock you know she stops breathing for a few seconds and it's very it's very effective because i feel like i stopped breathing with her yeah and uh, she comes back and starts to gather her wits. He finds her, puts a tether on her, and there's this these horrible, you know, jolting, yanking scenes of him tugging her along. Yeah, you know, as the cord tightens and it's like, ah. She seems really mad to have been rescued. Ah, damn it! I know what ah, you mean. Ah, damn it! The way she grabs onto him, I really felt like I felt that was like really real. Like I would have. Yeah, like don't don't let me go. Because, like, you're sort of floating, and it's at that point she's sort of relaxed enough where I guess you're just sort of like, I don't have anything to do. I'm just floating. Like, you're floating in a pool or whatever. But then as soon as there's something to grab onto, because you have to feel like you're falling. And if you feel like you're falling and all of a sudden there's something to grab onto, I'm not fucking letting go of that. Right. And you are you must have the sense, as I'm sure you did the whole time you were out in space, but of just there's nothing there. So, yeah. So she seems pretty mad. Then after after she's rescued, going back to the shuttle. How's that for a plan? Copy. Fuck. Ugh. Right. Copy that. Clooney reports. He starts talking and doing his job, which is Monsieur's protocol, continuously radioing to Houston, even though they probably can't hear him. I love that this this goes on through the whole movie, and it's wonderful. Houston in the blind. This is Kowalski. They can't hear us. We don't know that. That's why we keep talking. He informs Houston that they're gonna collect the body of the other spacewalking astronaut and th- there's a little sequence here that continues to happen throughout the movie another one of these instances where you get the sense of how things are moving at different rates like every time they come to a structure 
they slam against it. Yeah. Trying to get a grip on something. And I realize if they were, everything was all right, it wouldn't be that harsh probably. But you still, you get that sense of like, you are just free moving any direction, all axes. And you yeah. got to be able to get a hold of something. And oof, even more, it just every, every layer of this environment is just like, space sucks. Yeah. It sucks to be in. They get their crewmate. And that's what I, why I said what I said earlier. We never see his face. And even now that we get him, we never see his face because there's a hole right through the center of his head. Yeah. That's pretty brutal. Oh, man. Some crazy projectile just like, it's like a little bit of like his jaw you can see. It's, it's, it's gruesome. Yeah. The, well, the velocity of these impacts is just crazy. Terrifying. Like they, they do a really good job of showing that, like you said. Uh, also, Kowalski had mentioned prior to this recovery of the body that um, he'd calculated there's 90 minutes until this debris field comes back around, right? It's orbiting the Earth. So it's gone by, but it's going to come back. So they, there's this ticking clock. Right. Yeah, they're up against the clock. They get back to Explorer. And as he's reporting, I like that he says, you know. Here's hoping you have a hell of an insurance policy, Houston. The damages to Explorer are catastrophic. Which everybody knows that's no good. It's not going anywhere. And they find the uh, the two uh, frozen bodies of the shuttle crew floating in there. I'm just going to point out that in this scene, within the cabin, we see two things floating. One is a retainer. Somebody's retainer is floating. I wrote that down as well. And Marvin the Martian is floating. Yep. We see Marvin the Martian float by, and then we see someone's retainer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whose retainer whose retainer was it. So as the clock is ticking, two other things are up against. Sandra Bullock's running out of oxygen. She has like 10% or something at this point. And of course, she's gobbling it up because she's freaking out. Uh, and rightly so. Yeah. And Clooney's going to run out of steam, too. I want to ask you that. What do they use for the maneuvering thrusters? Yeah, I don't know. It's just some kind of inert gas that's compressed? I don't know why it would be inert. but Well, I guess I'm probably just not using that word right. <laughs> <laughs> I meant non-flammable. Does that mean inert? I don't know. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, it could be flammable. There's no oxygen out there. I don't I don't think they would be worried about that. I, w- I would imagine it'd be whatever whatever gas that they can get that has sort of the biggest expansion volume for, you know, whatever it takes to contain it. I don't know. That would be my guess, but I don't know. Darn. That was one of the things I thought you'd know. No. Not your department. No. But I do know that George Clooney and Danny DeVito are good friends. That's cool. Yeah, that's uh, why I'm probably really jealous of George Clooney. I want to hang out with those guys. I just want to hang out with Danny DeVito. <laughs> That's probably a really fun hang, the two of them. Yeah. It's probably hilarious. They should do a buddy movie together. Yeah, they should. I think they just live a buddy movie. I, <laughs> I, I should have looked this up, but I remember hearing about, there's a clip, and I think it's like it's like one of those morning talk shows, what was it like like The Talk or The View or something, where Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito was going to be on, and evidently he showed up super drunk. Because he just stayed up all night partying with uh, George Clooney. Like, they'd been out just... <laughs> Danny that, yeah. has been out partying all night with... Tell them. I'm so jealous. George. George. Clooney. Clooney. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew it was the last seven limoncellos that was going to get me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Have you been to sleep yet? Uh, no, Not really. Don't, don't do it yeah. So they're, they're traveling towards the ISS. It's Clooney's plan. He's got uh, Sandra Bullock in tow, and he's uh, keeping her talking. So where's home, Dr. Stone? She's she's pretty distraught. He gets a little backstory on her. So she's pretty, like, sorry, got the vacant eyes, staring off, hopeless, and he's just trying to keep her engaged and is asking her questions and where she's from and what she does for fun. And... You know, she's not really interested in talking, but finally she sort of reveals that when she gets off work, she likes to drive in her car and listen to the radio and she doesn't care what they're playing. And this all goes back to when she had a four-year-old daughter that died. And it's pretty, uh, I don't know, I don't like like when people talk about children dying. Sure. Being a father yourself, it's real like one of those 
kinds of deaths also that is the worst kind i think for for so many uh, right yeah which is just completely random meaningless kind the, the daughter like slipped on the playground and hit her head and that was it sandra bellock's character ryan stone she's never recovered clearly and who can blame her right so that's what's on her mind gotta admit one thing can't beat the view So what do you like about being up here? The silence. I could get used to it. So she's down to 1% oxygen. Uh, We've heard the dead daughter story. Then they just careen and (laughs) crash into the ISS. (laughs) When it hit hard, grab a hold of anything you can. Incredible. And the plan is to get the escape pod and take that back to Earth. It's not really an escape pod. That's what we're in. That's what we're in, right. The Soyuz capsule. Soyuz capsule, which is just how they get back to Earth. That's right. So that's the plan. And they get there and they get close. And wouldn't you know it, but the chute has already been deployed on that escape, on that, what'd you call it? The Soyuz capsule. So no good. Yeah, this is an awesome shot though, right? Like seeing the... You got the ISS, which is always cool, like floating mm-hmm. over over the Earth. But there's this weird deployed parachute in space, and it's just tangled up, tangled up in like the panels or whatever the structure of the, the space station. It's such a cool device. Visually, it's cool, and they end up using it really well. Yeah, it looked beautiful. I don't, I don't quite understand why it was deployed, but clearly this the debris field one time around wreaked some havoc had encountered the ISS right so they had, the people on on the ISS had already abandoned ship so one Soyuz capsule was missing because they they escaped in, in this other one so it seems like maybe every time it goes this this debris field goes around it's gaining intensity right as you're having this this cascade effect of collisions creating more and more debris because every time they like when they were at the space shuttle the the space shuttle was completely destroyed, but then they get to the ISS and it's not completely destroyed, but it has some damage. Right, it seems like the superstructure is still there. Well, Houston clocked that debris at fifty thousand miles an hour. This is one of those scenes that illustrates that I remember mentioning before how as soon as you have this context of a larger another object, you start to get a sense for the velocity, and they collide and they're desperately trying to get a grasp and they basically fail to they keep kind of yanking each other off anytime they get a tentative grip by that the cord that connects them and it's very uh frenetic and it's very fraught and they're kind of heading out into space again they've overshot the iss almost he was out of gas right so he couldn't slow them down enough to have a a more gentle landing and so they were just ravaged by this and they end up kind of heading back out into space, and her legs get caught up in the, the straps of the, the parachute, the deployed parachute from the escape pod. So They're against the blackness of space, and you see the edge of the space station, and all the tethers from the parachute just stretched taut, and her legs wrapped in that, and the cord from her to Clooney just at a tight, straight line and you can really feel they're just being like just they're going so fast yeah he's pulling her away yeah now they're trapped in the inertia of the station i don't know if that's correct to say is that correct (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) you have to let me go no the ropes are too loose i'm pulling you with me you have to let me go or we both die you go we're fine Ah, ah, no it's an amazing shot the way they really it really captures how tenuous the grasp is the parachute has a grasp on her foot they're not even holding on to the station the station's barely holding on to her right and and i say inertia because it the the perception i have of of seeing this visual is that now they're being dragged by the station like it's on its trajectory and now they're caught up in that okay i thought they were still just i thought they were just moving away from it and it they were getting slower and like it was slowing them more and more and more but they were still stretching the parish cords as they as they traveled away from so i guess it doesn't really matter i mean i guess it doesn't and that's what i have questions about like about the physics of it 
if you're in space and they're coming from one direction at a certain speed and the station is traveling a different direction at a different speed and they collide with it, I mean, it interrupts their velocity and, you know, that energy gets somewhat dispersed, I guess. And then, and then it sends them off in a direction at a different velocity. And then yeah. they, she gets caught by the parachute tethers, which is a big jolt. So therefore, I guess I just, my mind is like, and from this visual is like, okay, now they're going with that space station and it's pulling them along with it in the direction that it's going. But, you know, it's so hard to say and I don't understand. With, with you know, the Earth is like a reference frame. What's important is they're still moving apart. They're getting further and further away from the station. And Clooney can see, since they're not holding on to any, it's just her foot caught in the parachute. Clooney can see that they can't stop this moving apart. He knows that his inertia is just going to continue to pull her away from the station. So Right, and he's like, the straps aren't, they're too loose, basically. Right. Yeah, because it's just, it's extending and she's it's going to drop off her foot at some point. So he decides, start convincing her that go. Yeah, he disconnects himself and he's giving her the pep talk like, I want to hear you say you can do this kind of thing. Ryan, you're going to have to learn to let go. But I, I want to hear you say you're going to make it. <sighs> I'm all right, so... I'm going to make it. And uh, he, he cuts himself loose. She's already out of oxygen. Just the stuff in her suit, right? Yeah. She manages to pull herself back to the station and it's spooky, you know, because he's he's a dead man, you know, and it's it's kind of understood. But he's, of course, not dead yet. And they're still in radio communication. So he's still talking to her and egging her on and being like, open the hatch, get into the station, even though he's just he's just gone. She's clearly struggling. The lack of oxygen making it harder and harder for her to to see or to move or to to get to the airlock and he's definitely helping it's tense it's super tense and it's and it's like sad too hey ryan yeah you should see the sun on the ganges it's amazing She manages to get the airlock open and closed. This is the first time we see this. Happens a couple of times and always stresses me out. You you get that hatch open and the, the goddamn thing blows. Oh, I know. What the fuck? The force <sighs> that they show this rag doll getting like whipped. Oh my you know, gosh. Over over the like the, there's no way she could hold on to the to and that. This door. happens several times. It does. It's the only those are the only moments in the whole like I mean, the whole movie obviously is fairly unrealistic, but the but the realism is in, in, insane. So, like the unrealistic realism is is crazy. Yeah. So these are the, actually the only moments where I'm like, is accurate. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like, wouldn't it be already a vacuum inside the airlock? No, I think it's. I think it would be pressurized. Wow. You think they would have some gas struts on that door or something? You think it'd be part of opening the door from the outside? Yeah, you can't you can't turn it into a catapult every time you open it. Right, it would fucking fucking smash you in the head every time yeah. it flies open. And it's the icing on the cake of these high stress, very tense, getting to the airlock, getting inside before the shit hits the fan or you die, and you got to contend with this at the last second. You have those giant like Mickey Mouse gloves on, right? How are you? And that thing launches you. I don't know, thirty miles an hour. It just whips you around. Cannon of air. But she manages to hold on. Fortunately, yeah, she's got a hell of a grip. Gets her ass inside and and pressurizes the airlock and just takes. You know, we all breathe with her. I think finally gets the suit off. It just kind of goes into a fetal position and is kind of spinning there for a while. So I thought that that moment was, was tremendous. Really was. Yeah, it's amazing to watch. Yeah, and really effective. It feels like I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being so tired that you involuntarily fall asleep. Has that ever happened to you? Probably, right? <laughs> Studying or something? <laughs> yeah. Just watching <laughs> watching TV, it happens. Watching Marooned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> it's involuntary. <laughs> it's happened to me, and I feel like this is kind of what happened to her in that moment. You know, and also her respiratory, her pulmonary system is, has been taxed and probably just like there was five minutes of had no choice but to just shut down. Yeah. I feel like this happens at least twice in the movie, maybe three times. I feel it's part of like this metamorphic expression, this metamorphic journey that she's going through, you, you know, learning to deal on her own with her new environment and you get the shedding of the suit. There's a there's a chrysalis kind of thing there. She's made it to like the next aspect of this journey, and she's new also. Yeah, beetle position yeah. made me think of this. That's a good call. I have a question about spacesuits. It seems like they come off kind of easily. Like I guess you just got to turn it the right way, right, to unlatch yeah, it. It's like it's kind of a screw latch of some kind. It's like a thermos. Exactly. What are those? It's like a Stanley. Yeah. I wonder if Stanley makes spacesuits. It's a cool technology, but it's also like, wow, I was thinking about how much, I was thinking about how often in this movie in particular, we see the abuse that the suits take in space of bouncing off of these hard objects. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, I wonder about what the measures are that prevents it from just accidentally, your soup cup accidentally flies off the top of your Stanley. <laughs> I mean, you don't right. lose that. That's Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. So what do we see floating in the ISS? Well, you know, shit's really fucked up. It's a mess. She passed by a panel that little puffs of flame were floating around out of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to get at that yet. I, I, just, thought uh, that was, I just thought that was super interesting. Weird. Like, is that a thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no up or down, right? Right. It was just like strange. Uh, what was burning? Like a little piece of, I don't know. Have you ever lit steel wool on fire? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Steel wool. It looked like steel wool burning. So in, in, the, in the space shuttle, we saw Marvin the Martian. And in the ISS, we see a chess piece, a rook. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I was hoping for another retainer. No. Not so lucky. <laughs> I wonder what that would mean. Do you attach any significance to the appearance of a rook? Oh, yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll talk about it. It ends up being not very exciting. I think. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, thanks. You sin in the blind. This is Mission Specialist Ryan Stone reporting from the ISS. To confirm, I, Ryan Stone, am the sole survivor of SDS-157. So there was evidence that there was some burning on the way to the radio, right? But then after the radio call, we have what probably has to be one of the scariest things that you can encounter, which Oof. is to, to be on the space station and then have a giant fire erupt. Full-blown fire. Up, There's no up or down. They're not... They're just all around you. Yes, they're very, very weirdly oriented. And then... I, I don't remember how this happened, but she ends up like hitting her head at some point. Well, because she does the right thing, which is grabs a fire extinguisher, then she does the wrong thing that she forgets she's in space and she just fires it. Oh, right. And she shoots herself across the room and bangs her head and she goes out for about two seconds. But yeah. it's long enough for the viewer to be like, oh, fuck. But she kind of comes to and she remembers she anchors her foot. And the way they film it, though, is definitely you're in you're in her world, right? Because it has that ringing. It goes like, quiet. Yeah. All the sound goes away. You can still see the fire. You see you see her floating, but you, you hear what you assume she's hearing. What great sound design, huh? This whole movie. Yeah, it's, it's really good. So she continues to try to fight the fire for a second, and she quickly realizes she's got to get the hell to the uh, to the other escape pod. Yeah, well, the Soyuz, right? The Soyuz. Yes. So when they came, when they came into the ISS from outside, they could see that one of the Soyuzes was gone. The crew had left, ditched, and and won. So she's climbing into the one with the deployed chute, and this movie does one of the things that it does every time. Again, but to great effect, you're about to be free of danger. And there's one last thing that's like, oh, shit, you're not. She climbs into the Soyuz and closes the hatch, but the fire extinguisher gets between the hatch and 
the door jam, basically, and she can't close it. And then she manages to grab the extinguisher and brings it in with her and is able at the last second to close the hatch before the fire consumes her. Edge of your seat. Yeah, for sure. You know, they design all these systems so that anyone who, who's trained in them can use them. And even though she's panicking, you know, there's Clooney left her with a very funny remark. You point the damn thing at her. It's not rocket science. She hits some button at some point and alarms start going off. So she's <laughs> like, oh, that's the wrong button. I mean, I was looking at it thinking like, I'm not touching any of those buttons. Well, there's so many. <laughs> she's just like, well, maybe this, this one. She's choosing the right neighborhood. And here we go again. Every time something goes right, something goes wrong. She totally forgot. Right. The jolt of the parachute tethers is like, oh, fuck, these fucking parachute tethers. Just going to go back outside. So now she's like, uh, what's that paddle ball elastic string? Does that game have a name? Paddle ball. You know what I'm talking about? And give it a lift and start hitting. Once you start hitting the ball, you want to try and keep the paddle nice and level. So she's, she's doing that. Like the ISS is the, the paddle. This whole movie is like that. Yeah, the ISS is the paddle. The parachute is the the elastic bungee, and she's the ball. And so she's just like... Yanking. Yeah, she's like wailing on the... She's got the joystick with the little thrusters. Keep the toys from smashing. She's just barely able to keep it from smashing back. Oh, up. right. This is incredible yeah. that she's, she's able like, to write that thing and get control of it. Yeah. Type thing. Yeah, it's amazing. And not whip around and just completely collide with the burning station. It's like watching like Beta and Star Trek when they speed up the film to make it look like he's like, I don't know, building the model really fast, solving a problem really fast. You know, it's like that sort of like mind quickness displaying it. <laughs> she's like so panicked, but she's in the zone. You know, she's just like for dear life keeping that Soyuz capsule from crashing into things. And she's, you know, she has to like stabilize. And she finally, after like swinging back and forth, a bunch of time she's able to like get it steady space sucks man space. tried watching part of this with augusta who is my five-year-old and at some point she actually left i think she said space sucks <laughs> like she was like i don't like space i don't ever want to go to space it's like fuck space right on augusta and did, did not want to watch it. i'm with you kid yeah. <laughs> clear skies with the chance of satellite debris so dr ryan stone has got to go back outside. And this is one of those other kinds of spacesuits. It's not like the big hard suit. She's got the Russian, the cosmonaut spacesuit. Great looking suit. Yeah. And she goes out and she's got one of those cool big space ratchets that compensates for the yeah. uh, torque so it doesn't send her flying. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. Smart designing. They figured it out after the first the first one went wrong. <laughs> He's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> and there was some kind of problem with this shit too, right? Didn't go smoothly. Yeah, nothing goes smoothly. Yeah, she's trying to get the parachute unhooked and then uh, it's that whatever 90 minutes and the, the debris field's coming back around. Oh, the debris field is returning. That's the danger. Yeah, so she's like, I don't know. I mean, at this point, how many times could she be like, oh, what next? You know, she's probably just like, yep, okay. <laughs> now this is going to kill me. I guess she gets it off and, and, and things are striking. I mean, ISS is getting destroyed around her. And again, with the audio design, super cool because she's outside and you don't hear anything. You can hear her breathing and you can hear the things that would that she would be able to hear because like, I think you can hear her working with the tool. Through her bones. Right. Because that would be vibrating like through her hand and through her suit. Yeah, but like in the background, as she like she decides she decides she has to focus on the task at hand, right? So instead right. of like ignore the catastrophe happening behind her. Yeah, like I would have my mouth open and just be like, uh but <laughs> she's like doing the the job and behind her pieces of debris are just destroying the ISS. You don't hear anything. Calamity going on. So then she solves that problem. The whole door thing happens again where it Throws her like a rag doll. She manages to hold on, gets back in the Soyuz. Then I have I have a note that it was out of gas, but I don't I actually don't remember. I don't recall either if the gauge shows zero, but it definitely like there's no burn. Like it doesn't it doesn't fire. So this was just the like okay like I've put in the the return to Earth thing and it doesn't do it. That's what it is. She does the reentry program and it doesn't right. do it. So she gets away from the ISS, but she... Right. She uses like her chemical gas thrusters earlier to like maneuver away from the disaster. And then she does the program for re-entry and nothing happens. She gets super pissed. 
that's when like the anger and frustration comes. She starts, you know, like banging herself all around the capsule. She's so frustrated. She's exhausted. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! And it's cold. It's very cold. You can see her breath. Yeah, what's with that? Why doesn't the Soyuz have heat? Well, they're Russian. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. Perfect answer. Fair enough. Moving on. She gets on the radio and she's trying to call Houston. She's like, Houston, what, what does she keep saying, though, that they call, they say Houston in the blind. Yeah, Houston in the blind, which is, I don't know what that comes from, but it's cool. I mean, that's their protocol. That's their code for there's that they don't know if anyone can hear them or not, or if there's any kind of contact. So they, they only started the in the blind thing once the shit hit the fan. They weren't saying that before. Exactly. Okay. So she's been doing this Houston like reporting what's going on. Following protocol. But she's also, at this point, she's finally like, is there anybody out there at all? And she starts hearing somebody talking to her, but it's an it's a non-English speaker and she's trying to communicate with them and she can't. But then I guess this it's like a ham radio operator, mm-hmm. you know, in uh somewhere in the world who's decided, I guess, to just continue broadcasting his his household because then Yeah, he's just playing around with his radio and he's got somebody yeah and so then she starts listening to him sing a lullaby like he, she hears a baby crying and then he's singing a lullaby to the baby and yes yeah, so it's a really interesting story device very cool agreed and there's kind of a serenity to this moment and i think this is what helps her it calms her yeah and it connects her with you know she starts thinking about her daughter of course her dead daughter and it's what helps her connect with like accepting death and being able to let go. So that's what she proceeds to to do. She sets the power down in the capsule and she turns like the knobs to turn off the oxygen. Yep. And she's like, all right, I'm just gonna go to sleep. You know, like, let this be my lullaby. I'm such a radio nut though. I, I definitely would have played around with the radio more. <laughs> I mean, I like the guy. He seemed like he he's I don't know he seemed to connect with her even though they couldn't speak this language. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he understood that she was. I, I think the last the last guess you would ever make is that you're talking to somebody who's floating stranded in space. You know I don't think he realized that, but but I just would have played around. Yeah, but maybe you could get some good like AM. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know? Like you know you could get some oldies station for a little while. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> get some oldies, maybe a baseball game. Yeah. You could at least you could I think you could enjoy floating in space even if it's cold just listen, listening to the radio. You could get George Nori rant on about crazy shit. Well, hello everybody. This is George Nori and this is AM Coast to Coast and today Yeah, that then I would kill myself. <laughs> I got something today, folks, that I think you're really going to get a big kick out of. But it probably doesn't get any better if, if you're thinking like what's the best what's the perfect thing for me to like to starve myself of oxygen too. It probably is some non-English speaking lullaby that that's just by chance streaming into your capsule. So she maybe was like planning on spending some time with with the radio, some quality time on the radio. But yeah, I think it got her in the mood. Yeah. Get you in that suicide mood. Oh woof woof. Oh woof woof. And then we have the kind of this is one of the great scenes. After all of the stuff that has happened and all the disaster and the stress and the tension, the unrelenting pace, she's going out, she's calm, and we get this scene of levity with the ghost of George Clooney. Right, but we don't know it's the ghost. We don't at first, of course. You hope that it's not. I remember when I saw this in the theater, I, it was so, um, like my heart leapt. Yeah. And it happened to this watch, too. It's so welcome. It's so welcome to see his handsome, smiling face knocking on the porthole. Like, hey, hey, I'm coming in. Yeah, and then he opens. <laughs> he just blows the airlock. Opens the door to her hatchback. Right, yeah. She's like, no. Don't, don't, don't. Comes in and like, ah, how you doing? Kind of settles into his seat. It's He's so good at projecting this air of comfort and familiarity. Yeah. And I, originally, I remember seeing him being like, this has got to be a delirium like this is just it's impossible but i really wanted it to be real we're glad to see you i didn't think you were gonna make it 
you find the vodka? And of course, he knows something he alluded to when they were going to the ISS originally to get the Soyuz. He was like, well, they keep that vodka in there. Right. And so the first thing he does is like reach under the driver's seat and pull out a flask of space Smirnoff. He's drinking out with a straw. I assume that they would have like a big old bottle, but I guess that doesn't work in space. (laughs) Slurping out of the straw and he's so what are you doing? And he turns all the lights back on. But yeah, I mean, doesn't he like kind of scold her? Yeah, he kind of gives her the, uh, you know, he pep talks her. He's kind of, what are you doing? Well, he gives her the speech about like, you need, like, I don't remember how he puts it, but it's basically like, you need you need to decide to live. And he's talking about his the daughter, the dead daughter more than her situation. Right. And that's kind of part of the clue that it's going on in her head. Right. And then she's like, well, I can't get back because there's no rockets or fuel or whatever the problem is with the Soyuz. And he's like, well, what about breaking? And she's like, you know, oh, well, those are only for like right before you touch the ground. Oh, well, he's like, just an idea. And then uh, then he's gone, right? Yeah. The ghost Clooney, her, her subconscious Clooney gives her the notion to use your creative mind. And, you know, what is at your fingertips? Oh, these thrusters, they're only for this. But you're not doing that. You know, can you trick it? Make the computer think you're at this point so that it fires these thrusters. Did we ever mention that she's supposed to be going to the Chinese? I think it happens in that moment. I think it happens during this ghost conversation. Oh, yeah. And you like points out there and it's like, see that other light? That's the Chinese station. You just got to get there. And then she proceeds to be like, I only have these maneuvering thrusters. It doesn't work. And the idea comes up of using the braking thrusters and just point it in that direction and hit it, basically. So her subconscious right. Clooney helps her connect the dots. There's always something we can do. I tried everything. Did you try the soft landing jets? They're for landing, so... Well, landing is launching. It's the same thing. Didn't you learn about that in training? She tricks the Soyuz into going into, into its landing stage and firing its braking thrusters. Fires her off across to the Chinese station and... Trajectory is a little off. It's going so fast. And she very cleverly, since she has this fire extinguisher she brought along by accident, she gets herself out of the Soyuz, does control burst thrusters with the just the fire extinguisher in space to get her to the Chinese station. It's just crazy. Can you imagine the headache that she must have at this point? <laughs> From all the banging around and... She's got to be dehydrated. Well, I mean, she's been oxygen deprived multiple times, which has just got to be brutal on your head. Anytime you're hanging out with Clooney drinking vodka, not good for you. She got the bruiser to the head during the fire. I just, just, I just want to give her some ibuprofen. Or the adrenaline must help somewhat, but must be whooped. As she approaches the Chinese station, is breaking apart. Uh, it is rapidly losing orbit. What was the object that she saw floating in Chinese space? You have another floating object? Well, she's not inside yet. Hold on. Oh, all right. Save that. Bring that okay. back. Okay. Because, because she is moving, once again, moving way too fast. You can see the Chinese station is all shaking and just debris is coming off of it. It's entering the atmosphere of the Earth. And she finds the hatch. And once again, the hatch blows on her. Yep. Oh, so stressful. So now she's inside the station. This is when you're going to bring up your thing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, hey, Ryan, did you, did you notice anything floating in the Chinese space station? No. What did you see this time? Yeah, so they had a ping pong paddle floating. Oh, yeah. So does this give credence to your um, paddle ball yeah, reference earlier? Why. Yeah, that's it. No, just that uh, for the for the Chinese station, they had the ping pong ball. Or not ping pong ball, but the ping pong paddle. And then for the ISS with the Russian Soyuzes, they had, they had a chess piece floating. Right, because we know the Russians love chess. Right. And then for, for the Americans, they had Marvin the Martian. And a retainer. And a retainer. Is that... American? Yeah. I don't know. Just <laughs> I don't know. If you were a Chinese filmmaker, what would you have in the American space station or the space shuttle like a floating cheeseburger yeah cheeseburger that's a- it was all all like apart <laughs> and you can never tell what it was let's <laughs> get hit in the face with like a patty some <laughs> wilted lettuce with some mustard all over it <laughs> uh, 
some wilted lettuce, some unripe tomatoes. So I also have in my notes that there's like all of a sudden some cinematic music. I don't know if this is this is once she gets in the Chinese space station or when she gets in the capsule. But did you notice this? Yeah, I think it's when she gets into the Chinese capsule that the score really kicks up. I wrote it down, meaning I I don't think I'd noticed any music up until this point. There probably was, but... It was very subtle. This was very, like, uh, your typical swelling cinematic music. Mm Mm-hmm. I think to good effect, since it was so absent. Yeah, I agree. Now we're going to crank it all the way. Yeah. Bring it all... Bring every device we have to bear. So she gets in the, the Chinese station and then gets into the Chinese capsule, which is awesome because i think they'd mentioned i don't know if clooney mentioned this but basically right the chinese capsule is just a a copy of the soyu it's like it's basically the same thing right but it's so updated the russian soyuz looks like it could have been made in the 80s with like the switches and buttons that it has in it and the chinese soyuz it's all the same shape all the same seats and design but it has lcd panels and really great like led switches and keypads it's so it's so cool and i don't think this thing really existed i don't think they have their own soyuz copy but i could be wrong about that houston houston in the blind this is mission specialist ryan stone reporting from the shensu i'm about to undock from tiangong I have a bad feeling about this mission. <laughs> and this is when the the big binders come into play. Oh, right. She pulls out the binders. There's like a, a little like bookshelf in there. There are these tethered binders that have blow-ups of the control panel with uh, visual instructions on them, sequential visuals of how to operate. Handy thing to have around. Yeah. In case you don't know how to fly it. And uh, the thing works and she gets out of there. Let's punch it. It's so intense heading into the atmosphere. Um, and the camera really is, you know, it's, it's turning and swiveling. And, you know, one, another scene kind of thing where you can't tell up from down. And it's just yeah. now it's getting hot and it's bright and it's violent. Yeah, right. She starts out spinning, and then the atmosphere, the drag of the atmosphere sort of orients the capsule so that... Yeah, the capsule is ergonomically divine. Ergonomically. Aerodynamically designed. (laughs) Yeah. So that it it writes itself. Yeah, but she's still still surrounded by debris of the space station. The control panel is like burning up, bursting into flames. yeah, right sparks are firing and smoke is coming out and this is the trial by fire you know of her final transformation and breaking rockets fire she hits water please confirm well yeah then so she's she opens the hatch to get out but water is flooding in so fast she can't get out another thing there's always got to be another thing her face is shoved up against the the top trying to get the last bit of air so then yeah then it sinks down and she struggles out and then and then her suit starts to try to kill her yeah her spacesuit is so heavy that she just sinks and now this is when she sheds her skin again for the final time i thought there was going to be one more problem well you got to expect it right at the way this movie goes well she she gets the spacesuit off and she's swimming up, and you see the parachute in the water floating down. I thought for sure she was going to get stuck in that fucking parachute. <laughs> but thank God they decided that... Poor lady. They didn't need to do that to us, and she makes it. She makes it up to the surface, a uh, huge gasp of air. Exhausted, she just turns onto her back and floats. I thought it was such an affecting uh, shot. I got a little teary. You know, she's back on Earth, obviously. This is amazing. And the way she is digging her hands in the Earth, you know, that that feeling of being on solid ground after all of that. You're home. It doesn't matter where on Earth you are. You're home. And I feel like the character was transmitting in this moment that solid connection of being on the planet. And it's the only real place to be. The other image 
I gather out of the scene is this kind of primordial creature, you know, climbing out of the of the water onto Earth again for the first time and manages to struggle very unsteady feet. The shock of leaving the warm, totally protected haven of a mother's body and entering the harsh, relatively cold, danger-filled world outside is inevitably traumatic. They shoot it, they shoot up at her, that we're looking up at her from the ground. It's very triumphant and as she steadies herself. Oh, yeah. It seemed very... I I liked just the floating on the back exhausted thing again. Like I guess that is sort of like seeing the fetal position floating in space. Like She was just so exhausted. Yeah, just taking that second or minute to do that. But then there's, like, I was still thinking, like, God, you don't even know where you are. Like, there could be crocodiles or, <laughs> like, you don't right. just, like, you don't just end up in some, or there could be hippopotamuses. You don't end up in some random body of water and just start floating on your back. You get, you get the hell out of there. Forward-pointing tusks can stab right through protected blubber. I'm going to continue my birth stage metamorphosis metaphor as I had been. Forgot about that. That's like she was kind of exhausted from being like reborn out of that capsule. Right. And then, and and that's the moment of like a pause. And then she works her way to final stage of, of crawling onto land. A new beast. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. What a ride. You don't see anybody find her. You don't see her go back to society. Well, this is the second time I've seen it, and I think I would watch it even again. There's very little about it that isn't completely engaging. And you recommend it. Okay, so the kind of movies that are made just to be kind of eye candy and an accident or just like a ride to watch mm-hmm. almost never appeal to me. Like I, I very rarely watch them. Just go for an action movie. Yeah, but this is just, to me, felt like pure action suspense and it's it was just wonderful like there is character development but it's it could just be in that category of just thrilling thrilling action ride just fun to watch and uh yeah so i like that i agree there's so much to love about it and i and i think that there is a simplicity to there basically being one and a half characters to this because the ordeal is so huge the scope of the ordeal and this insurmountable challenge that this character rises to, where it's just, it's terrifying and it boggles the mind and the mind. And when you imagine yourself in it, obviously she's, this character is a trained person, but you could go mad at any turn in this thing. Like there's death all around her at every second. Um, and yeah, it completely works. It was completely suspenseful and completely pulled me in. And uh, it was also, I think, smartly not a long movie. It's kind of a classic, an old classic, hour and a half. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They packed a lot into that hour and a half. They packed a lot in it. Once it starts, it doesn't stop. And I think if it was longer, it would run the risk of completely exhausting the viewer in a way where you just couldn't bear anymore. Yeah. So I think it was very smart to keep keep it tight. It's a tight 90 minutes. Yeah, like at the end when, when they did not do the she gets tangled in the parachute underwater. Yeah. I was Oh, what a relief. I was <laughs> so glad. Gravity, amazing. And uh, I recommend it to anybody who has not seen it or if you have seen it, you saw it in the theater a couple years ago or whenever that was, maybe watch it again. See it again. Yeah, totally enjoyable. What do you want to watch next? So we've watched something from the 60s, the 70s, and the 2000 teens. Uh, so I was thinking 80s or 90s. And something I'd like something that we can make fun of. Well, I think this will work out fine then. Okay. Uh, on our list is the 1990 Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. All right, yeah. Classic. Totally classic. Philip K. Dick. Based on a Philip K. Dick novel. One of the greats in the Paul Verhoeven verse. I don't know who he is, but... Oh, I think you do, my friend. Look him up. He paints a particular future that I believe we are now living in. Oh, God. Yeah. He was raised in Nazi-occupied Holland. And his movies, there's always a lot of, like, future fascist government overtones, corporate fascist overtones in his movie. 
uh, you, you put Paul Verhoeven and Philip K. Dick's story together. That is a perfect match in my mind. So from here in the escape pod, thanks for listening to another episode. Tapping into our transmission here. Please send help. <laughs> We've been out here for a long time. If we're still on this pod by next week, come and join us as we review Paul Verhoeven's 1990 film, Total Recall. Yay! For Ryan and Nathan, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. You can contact us at scifiescapepod at gmail.com. And we'd like to thank the Golden Boots for our theme song. You can check out more of their music at goldenboots.bandcamp.com or wherever you get your music from. Until next time.